All right, let me pray and then we'll get jam in here. Okay, Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you're the great peacemaker and Christ is the great uh, peace child. He has reconciled us to you. Help us be reconciled to one another and pursue that which makes for peace since uh, we have been conquered uh, by you and our sins are taken away. Help us to uh, put away annoyances and put away selfishness and put on love uh, that Christ was armed with as he went to the cross for us. Thanks for uh, this teaching and this uh, new life you've called us into. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. Go and be reconciled. This is point four of uh, the Peacemaker Pledge that Ken Sandy has uh, put together. Um, really helpful. Can anybody remember any of the other uh, Peacemaker principles? Do unto others before they do unto you. Yeah, preemptive nuclear annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> enemies? What enemies? <laughs> that little Rice crispy that is there on the ground. The burnt one. <clears throat> What's the first one? I don't know if, if I remember them uh, verbatim, but uh, God's glory is the goal. So God's the elephant in the room. Not the conflict. Uh, the second one is there's something wrong with your eye, which is worse than what your brother's got in his. You remember what that one was? Brick? Yeah, you have a log and your brother has a speck. Okay, so you've underestimated the size of your problem, and it's getting in the way of you helping your brother with their problem. And in fact, you're going to beat them up with the big beam sticking out of your face when you go to confront them. <clears throat> so confront your junk before you confront confront theirs. Uh, three. Let's see if I can remember. Number three... Do the percentages? Yeah, it's. Uh, man, I'm blanking on that one. Okay. Marshall, edit this and insert the correct answer <laughs> of point three. Consult your handouts, which are online at visitigc.com. Okay, so uh, there's that. Okay, now week four, go and be reconciled. This is uh, the happy ending. We looked at sort the three-step procedure in Matthew 18 last week. Yeah, yeah. So it's go and confront. So last week was confrontation with gentleness. So, yeah. Good memory, Eric. Thanks for bailing this out. It's been longer than seven days since last Sunday, I think. So it evaporated. All right, uh, let's see. We'll pick on Wade. Can you read the go and be reconciled? Those two little paragraphs. Instead of accepting premature compromise or allowing relationships to wither, we will actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation, forgiving others as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us, and seeking just and mutually beneficial solutions to our differences. By God's grace, we will apply these principles as a matter of stewardship, realizing that conflict is an assignment, not an accident. 
We will remember that success in God's eyes is not a matter of specific results, but of faithful, dependent obedience. And we will pray that our service as peacemakers will bring praise to our Lord and lead others to know His infinite love. Romans 12. If, it's, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. All right, good stuff. Yeah, let's break apart that first sentence. It's pretty... Uh, <clears throat> kind of sets out kind of what the polls <laughs> might be here. <clears throat> Let's say premature compromise, and then we'll call this uh, cold shoulder treatment, or let the relationship wither. What's the problem with premature compromise? Sounds pretty Christian, right? If there's a fight, what's the answer to a fight? Give up. Give up, right? Yeah, it's like, okay, we both, we both lose, right? But uh, the first principle we saw in uh, principle one is that we want God to win. And so actually, it's not automatically that one side is God's side and the other side is the devil's side, which it feels like that when we're in conflict. But um, let's not give up too soon. And at the end here, we're going to look at actually how to negotiate in a Christian way with people when real things are at stake, like how we understand scripture, how we want to do things in the church, you know, there's really good ideas. And sometimes you can't do both. And you definitely don't want to just say, Hey, we're going to go start another church then because we can't really hang, you know? So, uh, that's really, literally that's the number one way that churches are planted in America is through church splits. So uh, we don't want we don't want that to be the only way that God grows His church by uh, mitosis. <coughs> is that what it's called? Cell <laughs> cell division. Yeah. So that's that's not exactly the way we want to go. <coughs> so premature compromise just says whatever. Two sets of arms are thrown up in the air. Um, but there's maybe some core stuff that was important. There was some some crucial uh, idea or scripture or truth that maybe shouldn't just be thrown away, right? Um, cold shoulder. What What's wrong with that? <coughs> Letting the relationship wither. It's usually a hardening of the heart in the process. Yeah. So that every time that person's name is mentioned, you kind of this when and at that point it just the relationship becomes broken yeah so what are we how are we viewing the other person when we've done this to them not worthy yeah they're not worthy of my time they have offended me one too many times so whenever their names mentioned we, we harden harden up because <laughs> one of the things we've been looking at in terms of how does the gospel turn it, apply relationships, we have to think about what is God's movement? In what direction does God move in terms of enemies? In the gospel. God moves towards enemies. And we should add, at Christ's expense.
And what we're going to see in a minute in the 2 Corinthians 5 verse is this is actually God's, since this is God's movement and this is God's mission, this is God's errand, and he's going to fund the your mission. It's not like you have to be out of pocket and then keep receipts and then turn them into God and get reimbursed. Actually, he fills us up with all the resources to be peacemakers and, and be loving towards enemies because that's what he's given to us in Christ. That's what he has done in giving us a new heart as he's given us a new... This person is actually called brother, not Satan or all kinds of uncritical things that you put in a text to somebody. So it's like God's moving is towards us at Christ's expense. So what God is calling us to do is towards the offender or towards the awkward one, uh, the person with whom we have awkwardness, at Christ's expense. So we're not... There is a cost. What's the cost of going towards someone? Pride. Yeah. Pain. Yeah, the pain. So one sense to say, well, Christ's expense, so it's going to be so easy to go do it like, suck it up, brother. It's, it's all good. It's like, it's all good, but you still have to talk. There still might be tears. There might be anger. There might be slammed doors. There might be unanswered emails. But if we're committed to God's movement and what Christ has done, that's what it says here. <clears throat> Not a matter of specific results, but a faithful, dependent obedience. This is literally that walking by faith thing. Is I'm walking where God walks. I'm walking with what God has done. I'm walking towards the people that God loves and forgives. Anything could happen. This could go terribly wrong in so many ways. So we can't control this. We can only go with God's grace and, and towards the people that God forgives. Does that worry you a little bit? <clears throat> this, looks, this sort of feels like a four-part recipe. Okay, one teaspoon gospel, uh, a little bit of baking soda, let it rest, you know, 450 degrees, 20 minutes. Add bacon. Add bacon. Yeah, that's <laughs> a side of espresso. And that's kind of the struggle. Think about Proverbs. There's all these little nice little nuggets that you can put on a refrigerator magnet or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Proverbs aren't little pills to take for a better life. Proverbs is like a joke that takes you 40 years to get, right? That's kind of some of these things work out in just the living of it, and then you go, Oh, you start laughing at work and people think you're insane. That's what Proverbs is kind of like. It starts working on you and it works from the inside out and you start to see it apply to real life. That's really what peacemaking is kind of like, is this long, Eugene Peterson called it, a long obedience in the same direction. We keep pursuing God and we keep pursuing people. And just ask Jesus, you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then you end up dead. What's up with that? You know? If... Anybody ever follow God's recipe? Who was it? Jesus, and he ended up murdered by the church. So that, I mean, blows all of our categories, right? But God did that for his church, for his, his people. And so that's kind of what God has uh, caught us up into and called us into. This next... Uh, We will actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation, forgiving others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So a root of bitterness actually comes from un, 
forgiveness. We're not releasing this person from the debt that they owe us or that they owe God. We want to call in the debts and, and hold it against them. And if we can't get them to pay up, the alternative is to just freeze freeze assets, right? Freeze the relationship. You're saying, this is done, you know, uh, harden our heart. And Hebrew says, don't miss the grace of God through a heart of bitterness. So that's why we need to always be reminding each other of the gospel and that it's supposed to penetrate um, the last unreached frontier, which is relationships. That's where the gospel is the last place it really breaks through, and uh, we need to keep uh, pursuing it. This next paragraph, interesting comment. Conflict is an assignment, not an accident. Theologian Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. Um, Conflict is not an oops. It's an opportunity for God to change our hearts and to reconcile enemies. So it's not just something that stinks and is regretful, regrettable, but it's something that we trust God uh, to change. Let's have somebody read uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Bert, can you read 2 Corinthians 5? try to chart this out so we can kind of keep it straight. <clears throat> if anyone is in Christ, he's a new what? Creation. <coughs> and what's happened to the old creation? Passed away. Okay, this is tricky. This verse is 100% true. This verse is 100% tricky. How do we understand it and apply it? So do you currently have any issues that you had before you were a Christian? I see some heads. So man, that, that means that verse isn't true, right? The minute that you're trusting Christ, the old has passed away. Cool. I don't struggle with that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't act that way anymore. Right? 
<laughs> You're supposed to say it wrong. Wrong. So this is an awesome verse. We should quote it all the time, but we should also understand it. That <clears throat> this is something. This is concept is also in in Romans six through eight. <clears throat> if anyone is in Christ. I'm not getting rid of Christ, that's just an abbreviation, so it's not the big Xmas controversy or anything. It means that this is what God, what Christ is up to. He's up to bringing new creation, and He is up to helping us actively, what Paul calls it in the rest of the New Testament, put off or put away. So since we have the gift of a new creation... Why would we want to... Okay, think about it this way. You got, a, you got a PlayStation 3, but you're keeping your Nintendo 64. Why? There's some things about the old system. Really. Yeah, you still love the old system, right? Yeah. It's going to be worth a lot on eBay. Get no, <laughs> for 10 bucks on eBay, right? <coughs> We've got it. We like some of the old stuff, right? We like the old responses. We like the old places we used to go. We like the old desires. So this is where a lot of people struggle is, if I'm new, why is all the old crap still here? It's because God is calling us to actively put away. Since we are in Christ, since we have been given a new creation, we're on a new operating system. We can't try to run the old crud on on new stuff. And so it's basically we're... Put, being called to put away all this stuff. Because look at the last verse, 21. <clears throat> For our sake God made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have the gift of a new creation, we have the gift of a new righteous identity. Think about it this way. You, you just got a really awesome pair of shoes. And suddenly your jeans look dorky, right? Your old jeans, you're like, those got to go to like Thrift Town, man. They're out. Right? They're out of here. New shoes require new, new pants. And the, oh, new pants. That requires a new shirt. And the new shirt requires a new hoodie. And the new hoodie requires new headphones. And, the, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. This is actually what Paul is talking about. Since you have been given a new righteous identity, this starts to kind of, you know, backwards ripple effect. All the old stuff, oh, that doesn't match. It doesn't match anymore. So he says, since we have become the righteousness of Christ in him, then it means all this unrighteousness or any pride that we have that was part of our old identity has to go away. And the, like you guys said, it the main thing that keeps the fight alive between people is the pride. And that's one of the core sins that, that God wants to attack. By humbling us with this new gift is Christ, who was sinless, became sin. He literally was sin's embodiment. He was 100% sinful on the cross, which is just bizarre, because he was 100% holy every moment of his life. And he became 100% sin for us. Yeah, we see this not only in terms of individually, but <coughs> in the whole book of Acts and the, and the epistles, is an entire generation of Jews who be, who now Pentecost. It wasn't like the day after Pentecost. Everybody goes, 
Ah, I got it. Okay, now we're not doing this thing anymore. A whole different way of worshiping. Whole different, no, it took time, sort of transition. That oh, yeah, some of these things were types and shadows. They were probably the old way. So there's an entire generation that takes for Jewish Christians to sort of transitioning. But also Gentiles now they're being incorporated. And how do how do the uh, Jews relate to the Gentiles? It takes time to transition as well. Gentiles started putting off their old Greek ways of thinking and acting and behaving. So. That wasn't just like the next day they woke up and they go, oh, now we got it. We're like a whole generation. Yeah. Start working this out. Can we the implications of this newness, of the, of the new covenant? And Ephesians 2 talks about God has made one new man out of two. He's made Jew and Gentile now not just get along, but to be totally unified around, around Jesus. So that totally radically affects the chips we have on our shoulder is that if you want to keep your chip on your shoulder, God has a problem with that. He says, that's old. Put, put it off. You're a new man. You're a new self. But there's something else new that is, that is here. Uh, it says, Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only do we have the gift of a new creation, number one, we have a new righteous identity, and we actually have a new ministry We don't have prime ministers and stuff like that, but in Canada and, and England, Australia, they have ministers. So if you're the head of a department, you're the minister of defense, you're the minister of foreign foreign affairs. What is the Christian's title when he has been swept up by the by Christ the King? He is a minister of what? And that's just the pastor, right? If anyone is in Christ, let's take that phrase and tack it with the next verse. He is a minister of reconciliation. Did you know you had that job? What does that look like? You've been commandeered by the king, and he says, Now, I got you. You're a minister of reconciliation. You show up on the job. What do you expect to be doing if you're a minister of reconciliation? Well, there's some hints in here. But you have any ideas before I... Yeah, I yeah Kay, you're shaking your hand. Reconciling. Reconciling. <laughs> With who? What categories of people? The ones you like. <laughs> Don't really do any reconcile with them, right? Yeah, we're already good with them, you know. Christian side hug and everything. We're good with them, right? <coughs> yeah. So fellow sinners, and then in particular ones that have you're experiencing some kind of alienation uh, with them. Like Eric said, the early church was full of enemy combatants. You know, Jew versus Gentile. They were calling each other names for hundreds, thousands of years, and then suddenly they become Christians. They suddenly have to talk different about each other. You know, They can't tell Jewish jokes or pull out <laughs> jokes. Or, hey, how many Gentiles did take the screw in the light? Yeah, so it's like, oh, no, oh, sorry, I got, there's one right there. I used to not have to ever be around them. Yeah. Helping reconcile people with God. 
Yeah. I mean, it says, gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So he's using us to reconcile the world to himself. So remember the movement? God's movement is towards sinners. And the call is for sinners to move. Well, using arrows here. Back to God. Since in the cross, he has reconciled the world to himself. We're calling people to come on this road back to God. God's come down in Christ to reconcile, and he's calling people back. And so we're basically the tour guides, or the, he calls it here, ambassadors. We get a little flag. It says, hi, I work at the embassy. You might know my king. He's Jesus. You know, and uh, you're like, he wants to, he will see you now. You know, basically, we're inviting people to come be reconciled um, to God. So think about it. The world was everybody all the time always against God. So if God was reconciling the world to himself, that's pretty hard, right? Turning haters into lovers, that's pretty huge change, right? Well, how about uh, uh, saved sinners? Is it easier to reconcile with saved sinners? Potentially, right? Because they should get it, right? They should understand. Yeah. How does the reconciling the world to himself affect um, only people Well, that concept is true. God's redeeming everything. But here he's talking about people-to-people interaction of be reconciled to God, which is this whole thing of be part of a new creation. We're inviting people. This is the shape of the world that God wants. It's better than the shape of the world that you want, believe it or not. So come visit the new world. And the first foretaste of the new world is the church where we are reconciled to God and we are reconciled to each other next week we'll take communion come union sinners getting along together through Jesus and not just getting along but loving and embracing each other (coughs) so sinners are, are reconciled back to God and we invite people to be reconciled to God he says God is making his appeal through us. God can reach their hearts directly if he wants to. He can speak through tombs and call out Lazarus. But he uses people. And he uses us who have gotten the gospel to help others get the gospel even when we have history with them. Awkwardness and, and alienation, even hatred. God can break through, break through that. Any questions, or how does this work? Work out. <clears throat> so, th- does that include like mediating between two conflicting parties? Yeah, there's a role. Yeah, if you are a cool head and you love both uh, both parties, um, 
And of course, there's roles for independent, objective, outside help. But in, uh, Paul says, none of you should be suing each other. This is a disgrace. If two Christians appear in secular court, he's like, you should be just gagging and throwing your hands up in the air. What's up with that? It says, can't you work it out? Hasn't the gospel worked it out between you? So, so uh, Ken Sandy and his ministry is really calling the church back to reconcile its own problems within itself. We shouldn't be suing each other because we should be talking to each other. We shouldn't be freezing each other out. We should be moving moving towards. So sometimes there's wise intermediaries that can help. And then uh, this pause principle is kind of a way to how, how we could do that. If uh, And maybe God's calling some of you to be like that. Is You love people, you have a cool head, you kind of see where issues are that maybe both sides are missing. You can really be an agent of reconciliation uh, that way. And Lord knows we need more of that and less you know, church splits and blog character assassinations and stuff like that so yeah here's a little rule of thumb maybe just to keep in your mind and we've kind of alluded to it here is okay what do I think about this person how am I viewing them am I viewing them in light of the gospel that their sins are forgiven and they are loved and welcomed and reconciled through Christ or do I say they're the devil they must die you know how am I? How am I viewing them, and is is it affected? Because um, the verse right before this is, he says, we used to think Christ was just either ordinary, or we thought he was insane, or we thought he was terrible. He says, but we don't think so any longer. We don't think about people from a human point of view anymore, because if anyone is in Christ, so that's really the context of this is verse sixteen. We don't look at anybody through just a human lens of how we used to think about people. You're wrong, you need to go away, you need to die. No, through Christ we now say, hey, God has reconciled them to himself, so they're not the enemy anymore. They're a brother who's stuck in sin, and so I can come and welcome them back, be reconciled to God. So how am I viewing this person? Second of all, how am I viewing myself? What color hat are you wearing? white or black <clears throat> well you've already probably assigned the other person the black hat and you're wearing the white hat so that's going to affect how you're going to approach people and that's actually how you're going to approach God we're forgetting what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says for our sakes he who knew no sin became sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God through him so we're not all that we're not 100% righteous We've been made righteous through Christ. So don't kid yourself about yourself in this conflict. And then what do you think about God? Do you think that God only has nukes ready for this person? Or do you believe that God has forgiveness and reconciliation ready for this person? And how you view God and what he's got in store for this person will change how you're coming. Because you're ready to call in GPS coordinates. Nuke here! you know, And you're thinking of the other person going up in a ball of holy wrath, right? But actually, you say, if, if God has addressed the gospel to this person and they are in Christ, they're my Christian brother or sister, our destination is reconciliation. So that's what God's up to. So we should be wanting to be about that uh, as well. So the big idea, if you don't remember anything else today, reconciliation is God's work 
and the Christian is his ambassador. So that's huge. You have a huge ministry, a huge mission. It's not your mission, it's God's God's mission. Any questions about that? Or, Eric? Um, yeah, probably you got a, 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 a real scenario. In Acts chapter 15, you got the Jerusalem Council, and there's, there's a dispute of the inclusion of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So the church ends up being united, and that the Gentiles are included by faith without having to undergo um, circumcision. But at the end of Acts 15, um, verse 36, it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. And now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through uh, Syria, uh, strengthening the churches. And I once had a sermon on this in which I presented the case that Barnabas was right. And then I asked the congregation, okay, how many would agree with that? And then I switched, and then I gave an argument for Paul was right. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, now how many of you agree? And then I went back and started arguing for Barnabas. Do you want to change your vote? Right? Yeah, and yeah, how many people are changing their vote? And I tried to put myself... Now, later on, you know, in Paul's... He said, bring John Mark, or he's helpful to me. And so somewhere, there was some sort of reconciliation. We aren't told how. And so... And there were two church plant teams out right. of that so right. yeah so the, the difficulty the difficulty is sometimes if you're the one called in I okay and there's more details than what we're given but if you go in okay so what's my so what's our mission to figure out who's right to figure out how I mean you put yourself in that position okay okay well, I can see you know I can see Paul was right and I can see Barnabas was right so in some ways from different perspectives and different I mean Barnabas is a son of encouragement um, John Mark is either his his, uh, uh, his nephew or his cousin, depending on how you want to translate the word. Sungenis is the word he's referred to. Uh, it could be a cousin, it could be a nephew. And it's, it's a difficult, because we're not told in the text how the resolve. And who was right. So what do you we think? tend to assume Paul was, right? Because yeah, he had yeah, all the, yeah. he wrote all the books, right? Right, so right, right. He must but, then, be. but then if you look at his temperament, as well, from other texts, you can kind of go, well, I can see my Paul would respond this way. He was a lawyer and a fighter, so, yeah. yeah. Well, let's look at the pause principle real quick, because this gets at some of this stuff, is they both, you know, John Mark was kind of skittish, so when you're church planting on the frontier, you don't need scaredy cats, right? The story of Gideon is huge about that, like, if anybody wants to go home, go now, you know? And they went down from 3,000 to 300, right? So uh, so here, here's the pause principle. Uh, the two Ps, prayerfully, prayerfully prepare. <clears throat> so Paul and Barnabas should have both said, is John Mark the right guy for the team? The question wasn't, is John Mark worthless? Is he a loser? Is he permanent junk? Never... He's not called the ministry, he should sell insurance. You know, get him out of here. 
Well, they needed to maybe make a case for, you know, prayerfully, like, what is this? Is this Barnabas sticking up for his nephew? Is this, like, nepotism and blood is thicker than water? You know, what's really at stake? So, they, you know, sorting through their hearts. Um, the A, a firm relationship. And, and from Eric's example of Barnabas and Paul, they parted ways, but it seems like they didn't permanently burn bridges. So that was a good... Somehow they held on a relationship, even though they knew tactically... We can't just hammer each other every day. Oh, I can't believe John Mark's here. I can't believe you didn't want to bring him. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, we can't plan a church when we're just fighting over this guy. So it's like, they found a way to affirm their relationship. And for a while it was um, apart. Okay, a firm relationship. You understand the other's interests. <clears throat> Paul needed to maybe understand, does Barnabas see something in Mark that he couldn't see? And it wasn't just because he's, he's family. Other people see things sometimes better than we do. And we need to be ready to see why they do what they do and what they've uh, decided. Um, Philippians 2.4 talks about let this attitude be in us that was in Jesus. So he says, consider others' interests better than your own. Then S is search for creative solutions. They couldn't really divide John Mark. It wasn't like Solomon and the baby, right? So uh, <clears throat> that was a little, that would be too creative, right? You have them hard Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Think about it this way. If all the energy that we expended in hashing over how people have offended us, what if we use that ingenuity and that brain power to come up with solutions to love and unite and stuff like that? So instead of hatching new plans for world domination or devastation of someone else, what if we figured out creative ways to work together uh, across denominational lines, you know, like Gospel Coalition or... NorCal network, or I'm in a network in uh, San Francisco, so people that wouldn't normally hang out, you know, could we unite around something biblical that would help us work together instead of just alienate each other? Then E is examine options objectively and reasonably. So one of the things that this pause principle does is it doesn't, doesn't just run to compromise. It really looks at the real issues that are at stake, and most of them are really important uh, issues. Think of a real-life example. You work shift work, and so you sleep during the day, and your neighbor has this wonderful dog, but it just barks all day long. One solution, Smith & Wesson. Bang, bang. Dog is gone. Oh, I can sleep. You know, so uh, that's not very creative, but uh, it works, right? And this is really hard in our American context where we emphasize rights and property lines and rights and all this kind of stuff. Well, they have the right to a puppy, you know? So their right to a puppy conflicts with my right to sleep. Hmm. Who's going to win this one, right? Well... You know, through working this through is this doesn't have to mean kill the dog or remove. It's like we could stay friends with our neighbors. We could love them and their dog. They could learn to love you and your need for sleep. But just really talking through the issues is 
but in many ways our solution is just you have to go away you have to lose you know so here just really examining because God loves us and God has given us grace to move just beyond rights and move into reconciliation really talking through significant disagreements with respect and with hope that something could be worked out and not just calling up you know by law enforcement or calling up the cops what if instead of dialing 911 why don't we talk to the neighbor you know face start that's this new creation we start acting like a new creation we start acting like a different kind of neighbor because God has loved us in Christ not just insisting on rights but wanting to win win them have a relationship uh, with them and, uh, then there'd be one less annoying Christian out there uh, which is usually evidence for this is why I don't need Christianity you know or, or the gospel so this would do so many things if we kind of went through, used some creativity and some energy uh, to work through uh, this. And if you ever pick up the Peacemaker book, uh, this is chapter 11. So instead of chapter 11, bankruptcy, it's chapter 11, uh, negotiation and uh, reconciliation. Any questions? We have about one minute. Okay, yeah. So for Romans 12, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on the piece of the is that just keeping it real where as long as you're able to give or uh, accept that the other person doesn't want anything to do with you? Yeah, so it sort of means, well, you tried and you've done your part and you're not going to just keep annoying them. So does that mean to just back off? Maybe it's back off for a while and then kind of reevaluate and say, you know, Lord, have I gone all the way that I should have gone? You know? Am I just content to say, oh, good, I don't have to talk to them anymore. I'm glad that they've ended the relationship. So They defriended me on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's another side of this that Christians maybe don't get, is sometimes we just poke, 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 poke the issue. And you just got to stop poking that sore spot, you know, sometimes. And you still, a lot of it has to happen in our own hearts. It says, forgive one another deeply from the heart. If we're just waiting for them to ask for forgiveness and then hating them, that's not fully what God's after. It's for us to forgive them in our hearts and be ready to actively receive them. But then sometimes we need to sort of just sit back and not just keep poking that sore nerve or you know that that rotten tooth. You know, just give it give it a rest. And so it's, this is our way to kind of ask God: Does it depend on me? And have I done all that I could? I really want to be at peace. That's my goal. And so yeah, that's a really realistic question about. You know, sometimes we'll wait till forever to hear people say we're sorry, but a lot can be done on our end to let it go. Sometimes it's like if you have a sore tooth in your mouth, some strange reason your tongue keeps wanting to touch that tooth. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so yeah, we got to be sure to like let it go. You know, maybe not to just give up or freeze them out, but sometimes there's an active letting go and then letting God reopen that door to that friendship again so so there's a lot of wisdom in that so good good question so let me pray and if you guys want you know help or ideas or you know backup that's what church leaders are here for um matthew 18 we talked about last week there's three stages go to the person if they don't want to hear you out and they still want to hate you take a trusted friend with you and if they don't listen to the two of you bring it to one of the elders of the church to be a mediator 
uh, and a negotiator. So um, that was in last week's lesson, so look it up uh, on the web. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've reconciled with us and for calling us to be messengers of reconciliation. Thanks for doing this in Christ's name. Amen.